Welcome back to Project Podcast, everybody. My name's Rosie. As always, I am joined by my good friends, Cameron. How's it going? Today we are talking about not a. I, I actually don't know the usual like how well this known this film is, but uh, Antichrist by Lars von Ol- Ulrich. Is that am I saying that correct? Lars von Trier. Trier, Trier. Yeah. I don't know where I got Ulrich from. <laughs> He's a um, Danish filmmaker. Yeah. yeah, so so this film stars Willem Dafoe and uh, I really should have. I also don't know before, what her but, name is. <laughs> but anyways, it's it's a bit more of an artsy horror film. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting watch. If you would like to watch it yourself, I believe the only place really to find it online is Amazon Prime Video. Um, there might be some other more obscure things out there. Like maybe you could buy it on YouTube, but that's about the only place I could find it. Yeah. So I actually have a story about, um, me watching this movie. So I woke up this morning with the intention to watch it for obviously to watch or to record the podcast. And I got about like 15 minutes in and I was like, I need to go buy the, physical copy of this because I want to watch all the bonus features and stuff so that I can have stuff to talk about. So the, since it's like an art film, you can, they only make the Blu-ray on Criterion collection, which they, I'm, I'm pretty sure like the most mainstream retailer that sells it is Barnes and Noble. And the closest Barnes and Noble that had the physical copy of this movie was 30 minutes away. So I paused the movie at 15 minutes went to the Barnes and Noble to buy it and then came back and restarted it. Nice. <laughs> so I think I think it's a it's a well-done movie. I think it's hard to make good horror movies and this movie definitely made me feel uncomfortable. That's that's for sure at a lot of points. <laughs> oh yeah. I also just want to preface this before we get into the main conversation with the movie that before I watched this or yeah, before re- recommending it to this podcast I had never seen this movie before, and uh, uh, sorry, mom, if you're gonna listen to this, and uh, <laughs> or that if you watched the movie to listen to this. <laughs> that that's actually that's awesome. That's hilarious. So, yeah. So the just the general plot. It uh it stars Willem Dafoe, and uh, an actress that I can't remember her name. Here, I'll look it up right now. I have all my notes on my phone, but I'm running at 2%. Uh-oh. So I might have to uh, pull from the memory bank for a lot of this. <laughs> You're good. Um, So they are a couple whose four-year-old son... Charlotte Gainsbourg. Charlotte Gainsbourg. Okay. That's right. Yeah. And they, oh, and they also don't have names. They're both... They're like... They're casted as he and she. Yeah. They, which is... They don't have names. It's It's... It's kind of ironic given that the place that they go to is called Eden, but whatever. Sorry, continue uh-huh. with what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. Wait, isn't this the second movie that we've talked about that the main characters are unnamed? Is it? It might be. I swear there was one more because I remember you mentioning something about how like Fight Club, the main character, is unnamed as well. I do remember that too. Yeah, um... I don't remember. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. But so anyway, um, Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg, um, they're a married couple, and while they are having sex one time, they are unaware that their four-year-old son... Which, um, which, by the way, just real quick, be prepared to see a very graphic dick shot within the first 15 oh, seconds yeah. of this movie. <laughs> Super graphic. <laughs> Um, so anyway, their four-year-old son jumps out the window and obviously dies. And it's kind of about the the grief that this couple goes through in dealing with their son's death. And uh, they go to a cabin in the woods to um, kind of face their fears. And this, this woods is also promptly named Eden. Yeah, There's so it's of, called uh... Eden. There's a lot of biblical Some... references in this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, it basically follows Willem Dafoe, who is a therapist in this uh, in this film, and his wife is basically going through a bit more of a hard time. 
uh, dealing with the grief. Or, um, and the main reason they go to Eden is because there's like this weird connection after this death of their son with uh, his wife. Yeah. And you kind of learn about it as as the movie goes on. So that's like the very like the back of the cover. Like, yeah, type yeah. Of summary. The the briefest summary that you can get. So um, from here on out, I think we're gonna go into spoilers. If you haven't seen this movie, uh, be warned. Um, yes, okay. sir. So yeah, like Connor said, uh, the beginning. There's a really graphic uh, balls and shaft shot. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the most artsy shot of a dick entering a vagina I've ever seen. <laughs> it was it was very graphic. What did you think of this uh this opening sequence? Uh It's it's good for setting up like the rest of the movie, I will say. It's definitely it feels a lot more like I mean, I don't know, it, a, a lot of this movie I think was intentionally shot in like very interesting ways and in a way that I haven't seen a lot of other movies done. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really kind of like set me up for a different type of movie. I think at, at the most this is what I got from it. Cause it's all in black and white and it sets it up. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it just, it's, it just kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat, like wondering what's going on for most of it. Oh yeah. So I thought that the, the baby falling out of the window was the worst effect in the entire movie. Like, him like initially jumping out looked fine but then the it was very clearly a doll that was falling and then like it hitting the ground i just thought that was probably the worst effect that everything else i thought looked really good and realistic i but like i said did you also notice that when he first slips it's almost like he's like slipping backwards yeah but then in the shot of him actually falling it's him falling forward forward and falling yeah i did notice that so there's that. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think other than that, and I, I don't think the doll, it, it definitely didn't look, I'm kind of, it is kind of surprising for everything they've shown that they didn't go as graphic with that, but yeah, I'm not sure what the budget was. On the, the special features, uh, there's a whole section where they talk about the props and the effects and stuff, and the prop people talk about that Lars von Trier told them that they just wanted to do like a wide shot of it, so... They didn't really need to make that realistic of a baby. Um, they just wanted like a doll that moved in a similar way that a baby would move so that they could just drop it from a far away um, angle. That makes sense. I mean, and, and the snow like puffing up kind of mm-hmm. masked that too. So it was it was a pretty, it, it, it did its job in uh, telling the story. Oh yeah, I agree. It, it, it worked but I just think it was the worst effect in the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after that, we uh, we were treated to uh, the scene where Willem Dafoe and his wife are walking uh, with their child at the funeral service. And uh, Willem Dafoe is crying. And I did find it weird at the beginning when she does faint. Um, which kind of like, because she's not crying. Willem Dafoe is like, very obviously like heartbroken yeah. from this whole traumatic experience. And I and I remember thinking it was weird that like she wasn't crying and then she passes out supposedly from grief and then that's kinda what is like the catalyst that projects them to go to the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I, I can see we talked earlier, I could definitely see why this would be a great movie to watch twice because there are definitely some things that I feel would be a bit more apparent watching it a second time through. Because uh, we'll, we'll learn later, but she she wasn't as sad as she was projecting to be well, for a lot of the movie. Well, so in a lot of the background interviews for this, um, Lars von Trier, like as he was writing this movie, he had just gotten out of um, a mental institution for his own anxiety and depression. And so he talked a lot about how... Um, the his panic attacks that he would have are like super physical for him so that's something that he wanted to show was the like um physical nature of these panic attacks that she was having are like similar to the panic attacks that he personally goes through when he has an anxiety attack and the 
the type of therapy that Willem Dafoe's character is trying to get um, her, his wife to go through is a type of therapy that Lars von Trier personally like take part takes part in to like help his anxiety where they like um, figure out what you're afraid of and then you basically like immerse yourself in that fear and um, kind of rationalize why you're afraid of that and rationalize um, why you shouldn't be afraid of it. So that's interesting. That's interesting that you say that. Cause one of the things I was thinking about during throughout like the segments of uh, um, Willem Dafoe's character, helping his wife, like console her problems through his, methods was that i was like this seems very realistic to what it seemed like it would actually help like i was like dang i wonder what like how i would like respond to something like this like i wonder what like that there's like that scene uh that kind of like gradually develops of like him trying to find out her fears through like this mm -hmm. hierar hierarchical like triangle so it's like top is uh what she fears, what the, she most. fears the most and then like yeah i was like i was thinking of him like that seems like a it would be a real practice like mm -hmm. i don't know i, I that, that is, that's cool i'm glad that uh i'm glad that it wasn't just phoned in i i mean it, the best movies come from personal experience so that's interesting yeah um uh i guess i want to talk about the hierarchy of fears later but um also, I think just the the handheld the handheld camera work in this movie makes everything feel um, a bit more personal and realistic as well. Like um, it makes it feel less cinematic, but like I said, it's a little bit more personal, so that you feel more for these characters and what they're going through. So I I just like the. Uh, the handheld style. I also think once you get into the more like creepy, disturbing aspects of this film, the handheld style does again a good job of like almost putting you in the passenger seat, like experiencing everything as they are too. I also think, especially in the way it was shot, like I, I agree, it definitely makes it feel more personal. But one thing that I had to get used to for sure when watching it was during a lot of dialogue. Um, and I, I actually think maybe, maybe I just didn't notice it as it went on further in the movie. Um, but I, I, in the beginning of the movie, I noticed it quite a bit where they'd be talking and then it would kind of like jump like a bit like sporadically where it felt like from one end of a line to another, it felt like there was like a whole different, com like a whole another conversation in between of the two. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think it like, I, I, I'm not sure, but I think the intention was to kind of like, uh, subconsciously like kind of get your mind and like this chaotic like feel if if, if you get my drift mm -hmm. I, yeah no um, I, I definitely agree i know what you're talking about because there'd be some scenes of them talking where like she would be laying down and he would be sitting up and they'd be talking but then when it would cut back to her she'd be sitting up yeah yeah like things like that exactly and i thought i thought it was just like a uh like like a small mistake but i i, I think it serves when i when i kept seeing it and like thinking about it is like like i said a way to like start subconsciously implementing like this chaotic nature that the movie's gonna eventually bring you down towards i agree i so i now that like we kind of mentioned that this is something that i just kind of thought of but um in an interview Willem Dafoe talks about how uh, Lars von Trier doesn't do a lot of rehearsals, and he also tells the actors that they really don't need to stay that close to the script, um, as long as they like kind of get the general thing. And so that way, they're when they are like acting it out for the camera, that it's their very first time, like they already know the lines and stuff, but they they don't really get a lot of direction on what they need to do. So the actors kind of make the action theirs and it just the the style Lars von Trier is going for like makes it feel like more natural and fluid basically so I I just think that maybe this also was maybe two different takes of them like that got cut yeah. together you know what I'm it would, saying it would, it would definitely be harder to connect different cuts if they're <laughs> like they're probably not doing the same different thing actions yeah. almost every take so I, I want I, that makes me curious about his other movies because obviously the, the cre credit to Charlotte um, Charlotte's uh, that actress as well but <laughs> Will Willem Dafoe is just 
a fucking A tier actor. So I wonder how his other movies have done, like utilizing that same method. Yeah, yeah. I, the, I, I haven't seen any of his other films. This is the first Lars von Trier film that I've seen. Interesting. Well, so they're just kind of going through her fears and stuff, and then they decide to go to this uh, cabin because she says that the place that she's most afraid of is this Eden place where their cabin is. So um, going along with this like immersion therapy to uh, figure out, uh, to rationalize the, the reason why she fears what she does, they... Uh, go to this cabin and the scene of them on the train and there's like the the trees and foliage rushing by there's like very quick frames of the like actress scary... like screaming yeah. or there's like a naked person crawling on the ground one of them like i, I thought that was super effective i thought that was like because the first time really? you see it you're like what what was that like maybe that was just an accident and then you see it again you're like oh what the fuck like i thought that was awesome i actually felt the opposite i i actually don't like when movies the only time like i really like it is like the well-known one with fight club because i feel like typically when people do that it feels cliche to me Mm -hmm. um and it doesn't really because i i was thinking when i first did it because like it kind of gave me the like the initial thought process of like oh maybe she's gonna be like because the movie's called Antichrist, and like the quick like half second glimpse of that you see of like her all crazy, I was like, oh maybe, I mean, she she does go crazy, but not to the extent that like I think those images showed. Because I actually went through each frame and stopped on each one. Oh, you did. Yeah, and it looked she looked a bit more menacing than anything else in the movie. Oh really? Yeah, but uh, I don't know. It just doesn't. It it felt like the movie could have been the same without that mm-hmm. like the reason why i like when fight club does it with like this quick cuts of tyler durden in the background is because it like serves more to, of like a narrative purpose yeah i i could definitely see it um and then they and then they they kind of hike to the cabin and did you notice how a lot of the landscape shots it like subtly distorts like and like folds yeah. into itself i thought that mm-hmm. was awesome because Willem Dafoe has a line a little bit later when they're in the cabin. He's like, thoughts distort reality, not the other way around. But I feel like once they get to the cabin, it's like reality starts distorting their thoughts. You know, like it it, it ends yeah. up being the other way around. That's interesting, actually. I didn't think about that. I like that a lot, actually. That's mm-hmm. smart. That's that's a good use of visual storytelling. Yeah. Um. And then um, from there, like, just kind of a, a bunch of crazy shit happens. Um, the... it's, it's basically a lot of, like, him going through, like, different methods of trying to, to help her grief. Yeah. And then I think the first, like, big, like, what the, what the fuck is going on scene is, I, don't, I, I can't remember. You'll, you'll, have to, you'll have to remind me. Um, like the the exact scenes that happened before it but some something occurs during one of their uh like as at the beginning when they first get to the cabin where he walks up and he sees this deer and oh. like it's supposed it's supposed to be like a uh like this you know just like this cute like oh look nature scene but then it kind of turns like a bit more disturbing when it like turns around and there's yeah like, and there's like a fetus hanging out of it a deer yeah fetus. i don't like uh, and maybe i'm not sure if the fetus is dead or something but it's just like kind of like hanging there it's definitely disturbing <laughs> um so um i guess here we can uh transition into talking about the different props and stuff they used in this movie because um the animals looked real the animals like are real them. the animals are completely real they um they're all like trained animals that they got so with the deer they had a, they had a trained deer yeah, they they had the trained deer, and so basically how oh, wow. they how they did it was it's like a harness, and then they put the the little deer fetus that's just like strapped to the back of it, and they were talking about how they trained the deer for this, is uh, so they started doing it with like 
um, months and months of training of the deer. So at first they just got the deer used to wearing the harness without anything hanging on it off of it. And then after, and like, um, just like expanding the amount of time each day that she wore the harness. And then eventually they decided, Oh, now it's time to like hang something from the back of it. So the deer gets used to the weight of this thing. And, the, the get used to it run uh, get used to running and like have it like bounce around behind it um yeah so then they the props department just made this little harness that went over the back of the deer and then it hung this like deer fetus and then they put like fake blood over it and stuff to make it look good and then they just uh use some cgi to take out the harness that's whack i had no that's that's actually really interesting and then the uh the fox with that scene that was the one jump scare that actually got me too that got my ass i was scared <laughs> but so anyway i don't think i don't i don't think anything jump scared me i'll just have to i think i think there were definitely some scenes where i was like what the fuck and just 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 real quick before we yeah, we'll, we'll we'll probably talk about this later on but um i'll just put this out there for now the deer represents grief and that's that's all i'll say oh yeah cuz there's there's these three animals that they call them the three beggars so they each represent a different thing yeah so actually actually we'll just say each one there's three scenes so so there's the deer like you just mentioned the fox um the fox represents pain and then the crow represents despair and then Mm -hmm. we'll talk more about them as we get to each one but uh yeah 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 um so with the with the fox they talk a lot about how um you can't really tame a fox and um they kind of have to treat the fox like a cat, like because the cats are really not going to give you a time that time of day all the time. So, um, basically, they just like put the fox like curled up in this little hole, and they put like a little piece of meat on its leg, and then just had it like bite at the meat, and then everything else was added in digitally, like the skin and all the blood and stuff was added in digitally. So they just needed like a a, a shot of it, like biting its own leg basically so that they so that they could make it look like it was biting itself and like tearing at it but like they just really needed it to eat something off of itself (laughs) they did a pretty good job in the visual department yeah the fox eating itself i think was no the fox eating itself and then there was the scene where the dead bird fell from the tree and it was covered in ants that part was really freaky to me oh yeah Uh uh-huh they didn't really talk about the that part when like the the hawk like swoops it up and eats it yeah it's just kind of disturbing mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so the raven um oh wait sorry back to the fox thing where you know how it like talks what does it say chaos will reign or something yeah chaos reigns yeah um that was all cgi they they just like got the fox like um like uh, making like a little chirp or whatever and then the rest of it is CGI. That part was weird. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think they needed that. I also don't think they needed it. Like I think the scene was effective enough. Just looking at the fox, I don't think the fox needed a talk. And they also had the the chaos reigns part in the title card right before. I also mm-hmm. don't think they really needed it to talk. I, I actually I should ask what do you, what did you think about the title cards? I liked it. I thought they looked really cool because I feel like when movies have title cards, like um, Tarantino does title cards a lot and stuff like that. But I liked how it was like the like the crayon drawings almost, and it looked really sporadic. And I I thought it was like super visually interesting to look at for these title cards. I there was a lot to like kind of digest when they would show up. I agree too. I think it also make like breaks up the story in an interesting way too whenever that happens if it's done well which if I it's think done well does. yeah sometimes yeah. it's not done very well but i thought it was done well here yeah for sure for sure um yeah um so if we want to keep talking about the props we can get into some of the more um graphic scenes if you want <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah um so i guess we can start talking about the uh there's a part where oh actually we can just keep going with the the plot i think yeah that we'll that get there because be it, it it happens a bit later on mm-hmm. but yeah we'll talk about that that those parts are interesting i'll say if for it for if you have if you 
people who are listening have watched the movie, you you'll know what know we're, we're talking, talking about. about. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you, you'll definitely understand our, our slight hesitance to, to speak mm-hmm. about it. So, um, like we said, uh, they just keep kind of going in with, um, uh, Willem Dafoe keeps trying all these different methods to help his wife try and, uh, get over her grief. And then, um, she just like kind of goes crazy. That's like the best way I can put it. There's, I feel like there's not very much that happens in between. She just like, you slowly watch her go crazy. Yeah, there's, there's like small weird things with the forest here and there. Like you've said earlier, like they kind of like distort, like how the forest looks as they're walking around. And then there's some weird thing where like, small small things that just kind of like add to the bigger picture of like this place is weird Mm -hmm. um there was there was there was i i almost forgot to mention there's like a weird like focus on i guess it wasn't weird because it pays off later but like there's there's a focus of like this tree and this little foxhole which become like focused on later in but i thought i thought they were going to serve as more of like symbolic meaning Mm -hmm. but i guess not um but yeah as you said the 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 rest like leading up to the ending parts the majority of it is just his wife slowly going like down this state of like a decaying mental state and then just continuing fucking willem dafoe (laughs) oh yeah um but the one the one thing we uh i think that is important before we get to the end is so she, she originally came up here with uh before it was Willem Dafoe's character and, and Charlotte's character. Uh, the wife came up there with their kid before, and she was working on a thesis on genocide. Oh, right. She was working on, I think her, I think it was on, like, proving... Uh, it was, like, the witch hunts or something like that, and it was basically, like, she was trying to disprove how... Like, like the evil nature of women that... Yeah. And, um, basically, she ends up believing these things about like she while in her attempt to disprove the evilness of women her intense grief of her son dying she ends up um starting to believe all these things about the evilness of women yeah that, which, that's how i re- kind of read it and that's yeah, what they which, talk wh- about in the um interviews and stuff which I wish I wish they kind of explained more because I feel like I don't know I feel like there was no real like explanation of why she got insane like it's kind of like hinted that it's a little bit of the forest and stuff like that but I I don't I don't really know I just I just kind of wish I guess that what makes it creepy is keeping it so vague I guess if they explain too much it would kind of ruin the effect but um so do you want to know I'm what sure. I think about it Tell me what you think. She was working on her thesis about like the goodness of women and her uh, like she kind of absorbed all this material about women being evil. And after her son's death, she kind of blames herself for that death. And she kind of sees herself as evil. And then um, when Willem Dafoe is trying to figure out what she is most afraid of he or um he writes like nature in at the top after they get there and then she and then he um scribbles it out the and then Satan. yeah and then, and then she eventually gets to herself she, yeah yeah she, so she has a um a line that she says nature is the church of satan and so um and then like you said she eventually like fears herself because, um, uh, like, as women, they're kind of more natural than men. Like, they go through a more natural process of, like, childbirth and stuff. And so she sees herself as... They're, they're definitely more subject to nature than men are. Like, right. We, we can definitely, like, t- to some extent, deny our own nature but like women definitely don't have a lot of that freedom for sure. Yeah. And so it's, it's her trying to like, 
I think, uh, break off from her evil nature. And like, that's, that's kind of part of it. It's like, that's why she fears herself, um, the most. And, uh, in doing and, and, and being so afraid of her, um, womanly nature, she, uh, mutilates herself and cuts off her clitoris <laughs> okay i have to ask did they actually show that because i I'm, I'm not gonna lie i skipped that part i saw i saw it was about to happen and i was i, I did not like it at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so i'm watching this and i'm like i can't look away because i have to talk about this for the podcast as much I as i want to look away <laughs> i looked away i looked away with the full intent of telling you that i didn't watch this <laughs> i was like i know i have to watch this so that i can talk about it and yes they completely showed it oh they showed Jesus. it in every graphic detail i'm glad i skipped it then so do I you was... want to know how they did it because they talk yeah. about how they did the props. So what they did was, so it's it's actually not her uh, her genitals, uh, Charlotte, the actress. It's mm. not her genitals. It's a a body double, and so they made um, rubber scissors so that they could do some shots with her actual body with the rubber scissors, and then they took a cast of her. Um, genitals <laughs> and it's it's so awkward to talk about but so they they took a, a cast of that and then they made it so that um the the clitoris was like interchangeable so that they could do multiple takes of it and then when she cuts it off it like shoots out blood and so they could do multiple uh. takes of them like cutting it off with real scissors and like like pumping blood out of it <laughs> Jesus, I'm so glad I skipped that part. I I I was uncomfortable. I didn't even watch it, and it still affected me. <laughs> it was it was pretty pretty interesting to listen to the interviews with the prop designers because they talk about how when they're watching the movie, they're some of the only people that actually watched it in, um, like extreme depth because they wanted to see like how well it looked because they know how it all worked like they know that it was yeah. fake so like it's definitely it's definitely easy for them to dis because they because they made it yeah mm -hmm. it's, and... it's funny because i like I, I it's that's not like in the grand scheme of things for everything that i've watched that's like not it, it's weird how like some things just like body horror like that can just like affect you so greatly yeah i've seen i've i've seen people's heads split open people's eyes get gouged out from like, mortal kombat <laughs> yeah people's like guts being like split open and like their entrails being like dropped onto the floor and i'll just be sitting there like oh cool but <laughs> yeah but like just something is simple they, they have a lot of like just because there's that scene and then there's also the scene where she slams willem dafoe's genitals his balls with a fucking a big log. ass plank of wood yeah big log and that was just like oh god like Jesus. yeah well so i thought it was interesting to hear the prop designers talk about um that like they put so much work into creating this prop of her genitals and stuff and he was like like 90 percent of people are gonna look away and not even watch this so like it's interesting that like they put so much effort into like figuring out how to make this work and most people are going to look away when this part comes up. I mean, that's good for them. Yeah. They're, they're, they're definitely right. They're definitely right. I mean, I don't think I'm fuck that scene. <laughs> I skipped <laughs> oh, it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like you said, she, um, crushes his balls with a, like a log or a plank of wood. And then she is afraid that he is going to leave her. So she, drills out a hole in his leg and puts a big grinding wheel and like bolts it through his leg so that he can't he can't leave her yeah and so how they did that was um they it's just like a harness that goes on in uh on his leg and then the actual grinding wheel was only four kilograms where like a real one would be 10 so he can still like move with it but there's still like a little bit of weight to it so he can act to he can act with it as he's crawling around the ground that's interesting yeah yeah I, so yeah that that was that's like so there's a scene with her fucking cutting off her clitoris so that's like at the end 
that's like after so yeah like you said he gets fucking basically chained up and then tries to crawl away and then i mentioned earlier that there was like very strong imagery of the foxhole Mm -hmm. and the tree and then he crawls into the foxhole and then that's where we see um the final uh crow like one of the animals that we were talking about um which ultimately gives away his location because it was like buried under the ground and then yeah he was trying to hide from her Mm -hmm. and then like the crow starts cawing and he starts beating it to death but it just won't die which it's kind of creepy i i felt like it felt weird to me because i don't know do do you think i i I guess you did kind of already answer that you you probably thought that the wife was more like mentally ill than anything else yeah, because like I, there there are a lot of times where she even like after she smashes his dick with a log and drills a hole through his leg, she still has like moments of sympathy, but then she'll like revert to her crazy nature. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, there's definitely a bunch of like supernatural stuff that's going on, but I think most of it is, um, like due to her mental state. Um, Lars von Trier mentions that. Obviously, this film is a lot about, like, his own personal therapy and anxiety and stuff. And um, um, one of his theses on this movie as well is uh, um, that women are more scared of their sexuality than men, basically, um, is what one of the things he was trying to say. And um, obviously, this can be shown on her um, mutilating herself. I mean, it makes sense. There's definitely yeah. a lot more to, to lose and to gain from a woman's perspective. So then Lars von Trier also says that he he doesn't believe that women are more evil than men, but he also doesn't agree for the vice versa that men are more evil than women. So, sorry, could, could you explain that one more time? So he thinks that... He thinks that men are more evil? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. Like, he he doesn't think that women are more evil than men, but he also doesn't believe the the other way around. He doesn't believe oh, that okay. men okay, are I see. more evil than women. I got you. I thought, I thought yeah. they were going to go down the path at the end of the movie um, that, like, that mental illness would switch over to Willem Dafoe's character. I also I guess... thought that that was going to make a uh, an impact, which I think it kind of does when he um, ends up uh, embracing his almost nature and just to killing her. I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's mental illness. I think he. That was probably smart. <laughs> <laughs> I also agree that it's not um, his like but... mental illness. It was just kind of like um, out of defense, kind of, but. Yeah. I think that that might be something that would go into it. For sure. So yeah, like uh so we so after all those scenes pri- primarily after the big scene where uh she cuts off her clitoris and then like right after that fucking they fight a little bit, he gets stabbed in the back and then he chokes her to death. The next scene, or the the final ending sequence, kind of follows suit in the very opening sequence, where it's all in black and white, mm-hmm. and it has like this. I want to say it, Italian song. I have no idea. I didn't look it up. I but it's just not English, some European language. Um, and he's walking back. Oh, and then they have that tree imagery that I was talking about. That one singular tree where there's like all these bodies, like oh yeah, scattered. It's, it's about. a bunch of uh men. And then at the it, end, when he like sees this big crowd of faceless women coming up, I have no idea what that means. I have no okay. idea. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask since you watched all the special features, because yeah, I, I, I have <laughs> absolutely no clue. That, I, like, I, the, I could grasp for some things, but literally my guess is as good as anybody else's. Yeah, I have no idea. There's a part where Willem Dafoe mentions in an interview that. Uh, he has no idea what it means, but every time he watches it, he like finds it very beautiful. Like he just thinks the ending is super beautiful. Cause he's not scared. He's more like mesmerized, which I found mm-hmm. like interesting. And like none of them had faces. It was super weird. 
and it didn't seem violent like was it like i, I don't i don't know if it was a I don't know if like Willem Dafoe's character was gonna die after that, or if it was just kind of like a weird like farewell or something. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe maybe I'll have to watch through the movie again to truly understand it. If you watched this movie, uh, put your thoughts on the ending in the comments. <laughs> yeah, tell us tell us about your favorite scene, and it better be <laughs> better be uh, the horrible scene. I just, actually, that's all I want to hear in the comments. <laughs> Um, so, um, I, like you said, I think Willem Dafoe is awesome in this movie. He's so good. He's super believable. Um, Dude, yeah, I, I have to say, I need to start watching more Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Cause he's, like, I, I wonder, he, he probably, I, I guess he must have a lot more of a scene on the, like, indie side of thing. I, I, I'm really curious to watch more of Willem Dafoe's works because I'm not sure if it's true, but before like earlier this year i watched lighthouse and then i've seen this now and i kind of just want to see more of his work because i i don't i i i'm curious how big he is in the indie scene because you should watch some um wes anderson films he's in a life aquatic with steve Zizou. i've watched some Wes. i have not watched that wes anderson film yeah he's in that movie he's in a bunch of wes anderson movies he's in fantastic mr fox i'm not gonna lie I really only like Isle of Dogs from Wes Anderson of the movies that I've seen. That movie is really good. I I I think his style of filming is really unique and I like I don't think it looks bad. I think it's definitely his own like but it just I don't know, it doesn't really resonate with me. Yeah. I, I it's definitely not for everybody. I my personal favorite Wes Anderson movie is his first movie. It's called Bottle Rocket bottle rocket what's mm-hmm. that one where it was the the fucking camp with uh, edward norton moonrise kingdom that moonrise one's pretty kingdom. okay yeah that one's all right i just like edward norton <laughs> um so there's a in in this uh willem dafoe interview he talks about that he he likes working with more independent films and he says he feels more like an artist because um like it, it's actually someone trying to say something and someone like trying to uh like project something or like say something in their film and it rather than like a studio film that's like super formulaic formulaic that they're just trying to see what works you know yeah definitely um, that, yeah, then, that's, that's definitely what I sense from this this movie and the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. He also says sure. he also says that he likes to be like a tool that a that that a director can use to tell their story. Like he almost like um uh like a a new color or a different paintbrush that an artist use an artist used to make a painting. Like he's just a tool that the director can use to make the story better. I like that. Well, that's a sign of a good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also said that uh, the original script was much more disturbing and graphic than how it ended up. <laughs> oh, God. I don't even want to know what that was. Geez. I also don't even want to know. <laughs> because when, funny. when this film... This... Oh, go this, ahead. This, this originally came from a film festival, right? Yeah, it can. And... Um the it, people hated it there it was like super controversial and people thought it was just like i don't know people hated it and really? like it, it got a it got a super limited theatrical run here like it barely barely played here um yeah it was a super controversial movie and willem dafoe talks about that he feels like this movie didn't really get the type of recognition that it deserves because it it just got such a poor uh review it can well i'm glad it came out to different outlets i think that honestly though i think that's it's it's almost better like that it's that's one of those things where it's like this is definitely not my favorite movie um i wouldn't say i hated it but like i can i can respect it for what it is yeah i definitely appreciate it and it definitely has something to say. It's definitely just like an 
like an art piece, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like it should be looked in that way. And I, I think that's one thing like this is just kind of going on a different type of rant, but definitely something wrong with like the current, I mean, obviously not everybody's is into the film and other things that we are in, but people kind of expect to see things one way and just get mm-hmm. super pissed off. It's like the thing with, um, like, have, have you followed the last of us too at all? Like a, a lot of the news with that. Um, kind of. So there's, there's this one character in it and it's all mocapped and stuff. And like, it, this has happened a lot before, but like, regardless of what people think of it, like people like have been sending death threats and just like really nasty shit to a lot of the people who worked on the game and shit like that. And it's like, you know, regardless of what you thought or not, like you, you it's, it's not your story, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. That's that, at least that's how I see it. Yeah. I, it's not fair to the people that made it and all the people that worked hard to make it what it was. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, uh, there's a whole segment of the special features where they talk about the, the visual style of this and, um, the director of photography talks about that hit like the style that they were going for was that they wanted it to look like, like feel as, much of feel as much like a documentary as um as they could without making it a documentary so that it like felt more in that like personal type of style that's interesting i don't know if i i don't know if i necessarily caught on to that Mm -hmm. and then um I will say there were some shots where it felt like it was almost like the office. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they would, like he would like turn around and then they do like a subtle zoom into him. Like he was looking at the camera and the like no joke was like, especially cause like, especially the one scene that makes me think of that, especially was like right before um, he finds the Fox eating himself. He like turns and looks at the camera and the camera like subtly zooms in towards him. Mm-hmm. And like, in my mind, I was just picturing Willem Dafoe being like this bitch. Am I right guys? <laughs> um yeah and then they talk about that the the slow-mo scenes are all shot on like a phantom camera um i thought that was interesting if you're a a fan of the slow-mo guys (laughs) is that just one of those insane cameras yeah that can like film crazy slow-mo shots like a thousand frames per second is what they shot all the slow-mo scenes in that's cool Mm -hmm. i like that and then um uh, the the last part about the uh, the visual style that I want to talk about is that f- that uh the filming location that they had out in the woods in this creepy cabin a lot of their their lights and stuff um kept like going out like they were trying to draw too much power for all the lights so the generators kept dying and like it was super hard to shoot this film in such a remote location. Did they ever talk about how at the end it was like it just continually got more and more like misty in the environment? No, I think that they just use like um, smoke machines, and a lot of that I think is added in digitally too. Because you know the the like the the giant oak tree that's over I don't know the if that, I, that's that's like one of the hardest things to do digitally, at least from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Well, so like the the big oak tree that they have over the house, that's completely digital. The only like because they they wanted to have the oak tree, obviously, because it's part of the script, but they couldn't find a, a location that they liked that had an oak tree because they, they talk about that the location needed to be like have a certain layout so that they could have like the foxhole in one place and the barn in the other place where she like um drills the thing into his leg um so like they needed to have a certain layout for the location but the one that they picked didn't have an oak tree so they had to build the trunk and then all the leaves and stuff are all digital hmm yep that's interesting looks pretty good it does look pretty good I feel like the leaves and stuff would be super hard to animate to look, make that look natural with like the wind and how that plays off the lights and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I just, I wonder if the, that I, if they did do the fucking miss digitally, that'd be seriously impressive considering yeah, how I, small it is. Cause then, cause then you're taking into account like 
it's really hard to make it like moving through it because like obviously it's not like a clear object or it's not like a it's not like yeah it's not a clear object so like manipulating how things move through that is difficult mm -hmm. but uh i don't know I, I also wonder if that was any point to like had any influence on the story or maybe it was just like more misty on those days of the shoot and they're like shit let's start filming i don't yeah, know yeah <laughs> i have no idea um but it was interesting they're talking about the actual cabin itself so the cabin was like a 100 year old cabin that they found in denmark and they bought from whoever owned it and then they took it apart completely and shipped it to germany and then they rebuilt it in this like little clearing where they wanted to film it that's um, weird I and feel like couldn't they have just built it again? I have <laughs> no idea. I don't. I don't know why they wanted this. Like the they wanted the um, authentic one hundred year old Denmark cabin, and because uh, obviously the story takes place in America, but they mentioned how the the cabin has square locks on it, and in America we have round locks, and that's just a thing that in Denmark they have square locks. So the idea that they came up with the the background is that they that like a, a a Danish immigrant came and built that cabin wherever it is that was their their fictional backstory for this huh. um cabin I thought that was kind of interesting and then I didn't even notice I also didn't notice until they said it in the special features <laughs> But um, they also mentioned, or so they also said that when they, when they moved the cabin to this spot in Germany where they wanted to film, they actually built the cabin in the in the winter and then left it there and then came back in the spring to actual actually do the principal photography so that all the foliage and stuff would have grown around the house to make it look more natural so that it didn't look like oh they just built the house right here just now. Hmm. So I think that's pretty interesting that they like planned it out like that well. Like all that of the cool. yeah, like all of the grass and all the flowers and stuff is like super high and has like grown around the the house, makes it look a bit more natural. And like that's how do you think about that? Like that's something that I just wouldn't think of. Yeah. It's a an awesome filmmaker. Like it's just a super smart thing. Yeah, I'll have know. to check. I'll have to check out this guy's this guy's other works. Yeah, I I I do. I want to as well. Cause like although I said I I said earlier that I don't think I'd probably like go. This definitely isn't like up there for the movies I've seen in a while. But like I do, I can't appreciate it for what it is. I think it definitely shows his talent, like you said for sure. Oh, definitely. Um, the last thing that I want to mention is the score of this movie. They talk about that they, um, they, all of the score is made without any instruments. And that was something that Lars von Trier and the composer decided together that they wanted to only use organic materials to create the score. So like rushing water, the sounds of like rocks hitting together and then it shows them like blowing on grass and like taking the vibrations from the grass. And then it's just like how they scale that up and down with the, in the octaves. That's kind of neat, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, I just thought I don't it was kind of cool. Yeah. I don't, um, I, I, I don't know. I, that's, that's cool. That's definitely impressive, but. I don't know. I, I can't like when I think back on it, I, for me, whenever I think like, the effectiveness of any score um and film at least is like how memorable it is at least for me like i, agree. I don't know there's there's no part where i like in, in the moment it's definitely like it helps to elevate the mood that they're trying to set up but it doesn't like like distinctly separate it from any other movie like from its soundtrack wise at least I totally agree. I don't think that they were really going for something that would be like an iconic, memorable score. They, the composer, just talks about that he wanted it to add to the, um, the the tone of it, like the psychological, um, 
like stress of it all. Yeah, I don't know. I th- I think they definitely did did a good job, and I'm not definitely I'm not shitting mm-hmm. on any of the uh, composers who did it because making music is fucking hard. I know uh, I suck at it, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think I think that's like the sign of like people who like are fucking really insane when they're able to like do both. Oh yeah. Um, and then, um, they talk about, you mentioned the song at the end and the beginning. It's the same song that plays in the prologue and the epilogue. But Mm -hmm. so they talk about that they found that piece of music and they wanted to put it in there. And it was super hard for them to find like an actual recording of it for some reason. Like, I don't know. It was just a hard thing for them to come across. So and then the the actual recording of it that they found, they ended up not even liking anyway. So they, they did like a live recording of it with a, a full orchestra and they recorded the entire thing. And um, I just thought it looked so fun for like Lars von Trier to be the director there and like watch the score being uh, recorded like right in front of him. And he could, they were like, oh, like, add like a little bit of this on the violin so that it like gives it a little bit more of the darker tone and you'd be like okay okay we'll play it like that next time i i thought that was all super interesting that is interesting this is this is a bit off topic but that just reminded me um i watched the uh i think it's just called ray the the movie about ray yeah ray charles Hmm. Um, good Oh yeah, it was pretty good. But at the ends, it talks about how one of his songs was made like this—a uh, a state song of Virginia, I think. I could be completely wrong. Um, and genuinely, I had no idea that states had songs. And I looked up Colorado's state song, and our song is really, <laughs> really bad. And <laughs> like, like I, I listened to like five seconds of it, and I was like, Jesus, I can't listen to any more of this. It was apparently like instated as it in like 1915, and like. <laughs> I That's randomly hilarious. was thinking about it, and I was like, I, I wonder, I like, I should like learn how to play that song and just make it sound like a little bit better, because by God, it's <laughs> Improve awful. It. That's yeah, so like, funny. <laughs> I had no idea that states had songs either. Yeah, I, I, I don't even, I don't even know if all states have songs. I like, I, fuck, we have dinosaurs, we have flowers, but f- songs, I don't know. Yeah, I, it should. I feel like Colorado should be like Rocky Mountain High or some shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> um so do you have anything else that you want to mention on this movie uh i guess i'll just my my final thoughts on it is i love willem dafoe this movie if you're if you haven't watched it already and you're listening to it i think this movie would be a good movie to watch with like a group of friends if you guys are just looking for like a quick horror experience because it will have that it has that aspect of like every single scene you can look over to your friend and be like theorize what's happening what's gonna what's going to happen um it definitely initiates a conversation it's more than just a dumb jump scare but yeah uh, not, it's definitely not, not, a smarter movie but yeah uh-huh. it can be appreciated like i guess not i guess you said because it wasn't as like universally liked but I don't know. I it was it wasn't my cup of tea, but it, it was a it was a pretty good movie. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Pretty decent. Yeah, pretty. I decent. agree. Um, I didn't write a number rating down this time because I wanted to come up with it after we talked. Um, I think I might give it like an eight out of ten. Just with like how, like like how fine the details are with everything. Like I'm super impressed with learning about how they made it and just like the personal stakes that the director had in it. And I did enjoy it and I, I'll definitely watch it again. I think, I think that's a good, um, I think you mentioned this for army of darkness. Like if, if I would watch a movie again, then I definitely liked it. Um, like this is something that I would probably watch again. So I'd say probably like eight out of 10. Okay, I de- yeah, I definitely see what you mean. I'm not. I'll I'll go with your eight out of ten because genuinely, I I have no idea what I'd rate this. I I I would have to say I don't think I would watch this movie again personally, <laughs> but I can I can respect it for what it is. Anyways, for our next yeah, uh, tell me what we're doing movie, next. I was thinking, uh, we could watch 
indie game, the movie. It's kind of old, but and obviously a lot of the games that have that it follows have already come out. Um, but the last time I watched it was in like middle school. I think, oh, okay. So. I'm excited. I d- I feel like I like started to watch it in middle school and then like never finished it. So I know I haven't seen it. So I'm excited. Yeah. For the movie yeah. I haven't seen. <laughs> Let's go, baby. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see just because I'm yeah I want to see how like it's definitely been some times like since those games came out. Sweet. I'm Dope. excited. Well. Thanks for everybody that listened to this. Sorry that you had to watch this graphic movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll choose an even more graphic one for our next horror one. Don't worry. 